Welcome to Lessons for Living. I'm Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. 1979 was a tough year for the United States. Unemployment and inflation were skyrocketing. An energy crisis was creating long lines at the pumps. Marxists launched a coup in Nicaragua. The Cold War was at its height. Germany was two countries, east and west. And on November the 4th, Iranian militants seized the U.S. Embassy in Tehran and took 66 Americans hostage. 52 of them would be held for the next 444 days. On December the 27th, 1979, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, shocking an already overwhelmed country. Morale was at an all-time low. On February the 22nd, 1980, a beaten-down nation momentarily forgot the hostage crisis in Iran, an invasion in Afghanistan, the choking grip of inflation at the gas pump, and was proud again for one gold medal moment. In 1980, the Winter Olympics were held in the United States at Lake Placid, New York. The NHL was not sending its players to compete at the Olympics, so the United States hockey team was made up of a bunch of amateur college hockey players. On February the 22nd, they were to play the mighty Soviets. Well, two weeks prior, in an exhibition game, the Soviets had defeated the Americans 10-3. So no one gave the Americans any chance whatsoever. Well, the game wasn't even carried on live television. Coach Herb Brooks told the team before the game, you were born to be hockey players. You were meant to be here. This moment is yours. Even though the Soviets had not lost in 21 straight Olympic contests and had captured the gold medal in every Olympics since 1960. Well, with a score tied at three in the third period, Captain Mike Arruzzioni scored with 10 minutes remaining what proved to be the winning goal. As the game ended, on a frigid Friday night in Lake Placid, New York, ABC broadcaster Al Michaels gave his exuberant, unrehearsed call, Do You Believe in Miracles? And with that, the Soviet giant was felled. Well, the Americans would go on to defeat the Finns in the gold medal game two days later. It's a classic David and Goliath tale. And when I say that, it's amazing that everyone understands exactly what I mean. You see, the Bible story of David and Goliath is a heroic tale that transcends cultures. It features an underdog going up against a formidable foe. There is no way the underdog could ever win, except he does. And that doesn't happen very often. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, we read about a miraculous military victory. By all human standards, Israel should have been defeated, but the Lord's blessing was still upon King Saul and consequently upon Israel. Even though they were ill-equipped for war, God assisted Israel by sending an earthquake. Well, the earthquake created a terrible confusion and the Philistine army was defeated in a rather unusual way. The Philistines, however, were determined to defeat Israel, 
So they reorganized and regrouped, and once again they gathered up their armies for a battle. This time, however, they were going to use a different military strategy. Instead of an out-and-out -out battle, the Philistines chose a one-on-one -on -one contest to decide the victor. We read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 4. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Goth, whose height was six cubits and a span. Well, the earth seemed to move as the giant Goliath strides to within shouting distance. He stands nine feet, nine inches tall. He is one impressive fighting machine. He's wearing a bronze helmet, bronze leg protectors, a coat made of bronze ringlets that have sort of been woven together into a thick fabric. Just his armor alone? It weighs some 200 pounds. The iron head on his spear weighs 25 pounds. Over his shoulder, he carries a bronze javelin and a sword is strapped to his side. His shield carrier walks with him with a full-sized shield to protect him from any arrows. He comes to the edge of the ridge and across the valley, he yells, 1 Samuel 17, beginning at verse 8. Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Well, any doubt that anyone might have had as to Goliath's intention was cleared up right then and there. If that was not bad enough, Goliath continued his taunting for 40 days. King Saul and his people sat in their tents, immobilized by their fear and their anxieties immobilized by the very sight of this giant standing in their way. They were immobilized by their fear of Goliath, not by anything the giant had done to them. Not one single soldier of the people of Israel had been defeated in battle by Goliath. They were not afraid or depressed because of what the giant had done to them. They were afraid and they were depressed just because he was there. Like so many giants which confront us, which keep us from doing the things we dream of doing, you know, the giants that tell us it can't be done before we even try, Goliath went unchallenged. Like so many of the giants which confront us, Goliath didn't win by strength of sword and spear. He won by anxiety and fear. Sometimes we ourselves do some of the giants' work for them. Now, Goliath's boasting was bad enough, but it was nothing compared to the way Saul's men let their fears grow within them in the dark hours of the night. In the anxious minds of these fearful soldiers, Goliath grew taller and taller 
until this very large man turned into a giant indeed. When we are depressed, when we're afraid, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. When we're depressed, we often won't talk about our fears to anyone. The more we talk to ourselves alone, the more those fears grow and grow until they're giant size. There is no greater gift anyone can receive than to have a friend who will listen to us when we're afraid, when, when we're depressed. A friend who will talk with us and help us sort out just how big those giants are or, or are not. Talk about them with a friend. And you may find the whole way you look at your giant is changing. Now, David's three oldest brothers had joined King Saul's army and were now there on the battlefield awaiting their orders to deploy. Jesse, their father, was concerned about his boys. So he summons David and he sends him with some food to go and check on his brothers. David arrives at the camp just as the soldiers are forming and moving out in battle formation. He leaves the supplies at the camp and he rushes out to meet his brothers there at the front lines. All eyes suddenly are fixed on that valley below. And David sees for the very first time this giant Goliath. He hears him repeat his challenge. And then he sees that all Israel was afraid. He learned that these taunts were being hurled at them day after day after day without motivating someone just to come forward and to, well, just shut this guy up. David, he's not about to let this go any further. He is all fired up and he, he feels the responsibility to defend God's honor. Saul's army is completely demoralized. Morale is low, and they're afraid. So David yells out in 1 Samuel 17, 26, What will be done for the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Eliab David's oldest brother, when he heard David speak those words, he knew exactly the feelings that were stirring in his little brother's soul. You see, even while David was a shepherd, he had manifested a daring courage and strength that was rather uncommon. David's brothers looked upon him merely as a shepherd boy. And maybe there was even some sibling rivalry. Eliab, he takes David's question as a personal insult and he lashes out at his brother. Why have you come down in, in 1 Samuel 17, 28? And, and who have you left the sheep with? You can feel the resentment that Eliab felt for his brother at this point. Maybe there is even some jealousy coming to the surface. You know that whenever you choose to step out in faith, you can count on someone wanting to put you down, even sometimes someone in your own family. David's answer to his brother was respectful but decided. What have I done now? Was it not just a question? 
David was too intent on fighting the real enemy to get into a scuffle with his brother. Well, word reaches King Saul that David has volunteered to battle Goliath. David's faith in God was like a ray of sunshine through the black cloud of fear that had hovered over the camp. David stood ready to defend the name of the Lord. Even though Saul gave David permission to accept Goliath's challenge, Saul believed David had no chance at all of defeating the giant. In fact, he tries to convince him not to go. 1 Samuel 17, verse 33. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. You see, Saul did not understand David. He did not know about his special skills or comprehend his faith in God. Nor did Saul understand the special blessing that God had placed upon this young man. Saul had forgotten what it was like to fight in the strength of the Lord. David reflected on the past victories the Lord had given him. And he used those memories to strengthen his faith. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul now moves to equip David the best way he knows how, in his own strength. He summons his armor bearer to clothe the youth in the king's own armor. Now, what an interesting sight that must have been, to have David, a size 36 regular, wearing the armor of King Saul, a 52 tall. Thus equipped, David makes his way to the battlefield, but he quickly stops and he starts back. Well, the first thought in the minds of the spectators was that David had reconsidered, but that was far from David's thought. Returning to King Saul, he begs permission to remove the king's armor. I cannot go with these, he says. David removes the armor, descends into the valley in his simple shepherd garb. He had nothing in his hands except his shepherd's stick, his shepherd's bag in which he's placed five smooth stones he had taken from the brook and he has his sling. Goliath came forward expecting to see the mightiest of Israel's warriors ready to do battle with him. 
but instead he finds a boy. A boy. No armor, no weapons, no munitions. The contrast in physique between these two was mind-boggling. Goliath yells out, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 43, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? David, however, is not about to be intimidated, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. There was a ring of fearlessness in his tone and a look of triumph on his face. David spoke in a loud, clear voice, almost with a melodic tone, Thousands of forces that had marshaled there for war distinctly heard what David said. Well, this enrages the giant. David's confidence is a taunting to him, and he advances on the youth. In his forward lunge, he pushes up his helmet a little, and he exposes his forehead. David quickly moves to within range, loads his sling, and fires a bullet that hits the giant right in the forehead. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, 49, the following, And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. And it continues, verse 51, Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead. They fled. Amazement spread all along the lines of the two armies for everyone, everyone except David, was confident that David was the one who was going to have his head chopped off. In his book, David and Goliath, Malcolm Gladwell writes this, Aitan Hirsch, a ballistics expert with the Israeli Defense Forces, recently did a series of calculations showing that a typical size stone hurled by an expert slinger at a distance of 35 meters would have hit Goliath's head with a velocity of 34 meters per second, more than enough to penetrate his skull and render him unconscious or dead. In terms of stopping power, that is equivalent to a fair-sized modern handgun. We find that David could have slung and hit Goliath in little more than a second, a time so brief that Goliath would not have been able to protect himself and during which he would be stationary for all practical purposes. Let me ask you something today. Are you facing a giant in your life? Maybe it's an addiction to drugs or alcohol or tobacco, an addiction to sex or pornography or, or gambling, 
Maybe the giant that you're facing right now is your marriage that's on the ropes. And rather than coming together each day, you're growing further and further apart. Maybe you're listening to me and you're losing your job or you've lost your job and you're facing a giant mountain of debt. Maybe you're watching me today from a hospital bed or maybe you're watching from a prison cell. No matter what giant you are facing in your life today, remember, the battle is the Lord's, not yours. Your part is to trust his power, just as David did. You see, God specializes in these hopeless situations. Chuck Swindoll wrote, Goliath endures as a symbol of the giants we face daily. He then goes on to provide some reminders for today's battles. First, he says, facing giants is an intimidating experience. Even through the eyes of faith, Goliath's nine-foot frame still towered over David. Faith does not blind us to reality, but it does enable us to see beyond the externals as we draw on God's power. Second, he says, doing battle is a lonely experience. Your Goliaths, he says, are your Goliaths. In fact, they may not be gigantic to anyone else but you. The battle is for you and the Lord to fight together. Your pastor can't fight it for you, nor can your counselor, nor can a friend. They may stand behind you, but only you can cross the battle line. Thirdly, he says, trusting God is a stabilizing experience. It's amazing to me how calm David was. It's as if he knew the outcome even before he stepped into battle. That's the nature of true faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Fourth, he says, winning victories is a memorable experience. Has God come through for you in the past? Well, hang on to those victories. Write them in marble, not in sand. Then when a greater test comes, your faith will have a solid place on which to stand. You see, that's how the battle is won. By the time you step out on the field and face your giants, you have already won. By the time David said, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts, the battle was over. It was done. How are you dealing with the giants in your life? Are you facing them in faith? Are you running for them? Are you trying to get someone else to fight them? Are you trusting in yourself and what you can do? Or are you trusting in Jesus to be your personal savior? Oh, Bill, you say, you don't know my past, all the things that I've done. My Bible says in Hebrews 8, 12, I will remember their sins no more. Bible says God will wipe away your past and make you a new creature today if you only choose to accept him as your savior right now. God wants to give you the gift of a new life 
free from the bondage of sin, a life of joy, a life of fulfillment. Now, does that mean you'll never have problems in your life again? Absolutely not. Does it mean you'll never be tempted again? Absolutely not. But what it does mean is where you have been fighting these battles on your own might, God now will draw near to you to strengthen you for the battle and to give you the power to overcome. Two verses I'd like you to jot down or at least remember. The first is found in James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It reads, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The second is found in 1 John 5, verse 4. It reads, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Do you believe in miracles? Why not let Jesus perform right now the miracle of a new life in you just by accepting him as your personal savior? Let me ask you to pray this prayer with me right now. Father in heaven, I confess that I have been trusting in myself to win the battles of life. I now humbly bow before you and acknowledge my sins and put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be my savior from sin. Come into my heart and help me change the direction of my life. Give me the victory over all the giants in my life and give me the blessed assurance of knowing my sins are forgiven. Make me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like a copy of today's program, you can download it by visiting our website, l4ltv.com, or by calling this number. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. There you will find the links to download a video and transcript of this program. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. And we would be happy to send the offer out to you. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. We've come to the end of another program. Thank you again for spending this half hour with us. Remember the website, l4ltv.com. You can get information there as to where we'll be appearing, where you can find a Bible study group close to your home. If you'd like to speak to one of our volunteers because you have a prayer request, because you'd like some of the material, dial our 1-800 number, visit our Facebook page, 
like us, you can follow me on Twitter at Santos underscore Bill. We hope to be back again next time. Why don't you join us? Until then, God bless you. We'll see you again real soon.